are listening to Radio Influence. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights. And a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. I'm your host, Tim Lloyd, joined by my co-host, Justin Watson. And we are zeroing in on the return of Valor Fighting Challenge. It's going down July the 3rd. Here in just a couple more weeks at the world-famous Cotton Eye Joe, after a couple months of involuntary hiatus from this COVID madness. And uh, tonight, man, we're going to be talking to one of the fighters that will be competing on that card. We're going to talk to Ninja Nick Wiggly for the first time. We'll do that in our first segment. Follow that up in round two with a uh, recap of this past weekend's UFC uh, on ESPN Plus card from the Apex Center. And then we're going to take a look forward at this upcoming weekend's uh, UFC uh, from the Apex Center as well with uh, Curtis Blades and Alexander Volkov. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be what we've got on tap for you today. Justin, how, how are you doing, my man? Doing good, man. Uh, just, you know, kind of getting used to how things are now and everything kind of getting back to normal a little bit, hoping that uh, we don't get shut back down again, but ready to get back in there and be sitting, sitting cage, cage side for some, for some uh, fist fights. Yeah. You know, and this is a, uh, it's an all amateur card coming up here in a couple of weeks. We're going to ease back into it, but man, I think these guys are going to be chomping at the bit and we're going to get some really good fights and we're going to dive into that more uh, as we get a little bit closer week by week. Uh, like I said, tonight, though, we've got an interview with uh, one of the participants on the aforementioned Valor 71 card. That's Ninja Nick Wiggly. Let's get him on the line to start things off. All right. Join us on the line. We have got rising prospect Ninja Nick Wiggly joining us. Nick, how's it going, my man? I'm doing great. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your evening to chat with us a little bit. You know, uh, before we get into uh, what you got coming up next, I think with this, this is your first time you've been on the on the podcast, isn't it? Uh, yes, sir. I think it is. Okay. Well, in that case, I feel like a formal introduction is in order. Uh, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about yourself to start. Just give us a quick uh, brief bio of, you know, your background, your martial arts experience, just kind of what got you into MMA and, where, you know, what, how we got to, to now, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, so I started martial arts when I was about eight years old in Athens, Georgia, and we started in Taekwondo and just I absolutely fell in love with it. When we moved into Tennessee, when I was about 12 years old, I continued on uh, through under under James Rich and through uh, still under Taekwondo. Um, and then around 20 years old, we got into judo under Shane Bonham, and uh, just fell in love with just fell in love. I've been in love with martial arts since I was a child, and it's just it's an amazing thing to me. And I love I love competing, and I love uh, you know learning more and more each time through it, and um, and yeah, so and now uh, going for, going forward, I've been training out of Knoxville Martial Arts Academy and fighting out of Knoxville Martial Arts Academy uh, for about I think four years now, four or five, four or five years. It's 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 somewhere around there. Um, and uh, and yeah, and honestly, what got me into it, I was never I was never really a big fan of MMA um, when I first or when uh when I was in traditional martial arts, I was never really a big, big fan. And then uh, a buddy of mine, uh, 
it told me, hey, right, they got this thing, they got this thing going on, right, come try it out. And I was like, okay, right, we'll just give it a shot, right, see how it goes. And instantly fell in love with it and regret ever being like, you know, ever not being on board with it from the get-go. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's about me. And uh, now we Very nice. run, uh, yeah, now we run TTJC, uh, the judo school that I was, uh, that I started at and uh, we've been doing that for a while now and still, and still fighting too. Very nice, man. Well, you know, if, if you've ever seen one of Ninja Nick's fights, they're always exciting. You know, he, he's a guy that has got some, some good flashy kicks and, and it complements it with some, uh, with some solid grappling to boot, you know, and uh, you know, Nick, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your training here as, as we come up on, uh, on this next fight, you know, you're, you're booked on the uh, return card, if you will, uh, that's Valor 71 on July 3rd from the world famous Cotton Eye Joe. And this will be your first fight. You know, you're three and one. Uh, coming into this fight in the featherweight division, uh, ranked uh, number 28 in the state, and uh, you know, on uh, a two-fight winning streak at that, but it's been, by the time we get in the cage, it's going to be right about a year, a little bit more than a year, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but when I when I looked at your record, I was like, wow, it's been, uh, by the time you fight, it will have been a little over a year. Uh, is that by design? Have you been working on some stuff, or is it, you know, where you've just been too busy, or any injuries, or, you know, why is it that you've been off this last year, and what have you been working on uh, if anything, over uh, that last year, I'm sure you've been working on something. Uh, well, actually, after my after my last fight back in you know June of 2019, um, we found out that my honestly we found out my wife's father um, had cancer, and unfortunately, after that week after the fight, he he passed away, and uh, and I was needed. I needed to be with my family. Um, it was a very it was really, it's really been a hard year for us. Um, after losing him, he was a good man. Um, a great man, someone I really idolized and, you know, looked up as, as like a, as my own father. And, um, you know, so it was a, it was a hard year on all of us. Um, and I just needed to be there for my family. So that's why I took, took a bit of a hiatus from, from the cage. Um, but moving forward, you know, we're getting, we've gotten back into our fighting shape. I honestly, I feel, I feel better than I have, you know, when I did my last fight and, uh, weight coming off weight is one is coming off easy. And, you know, I've got, you know, I've got, I still got my, uh, what's the term? I still got my engine good, right? My cardio is good. My cardio is great. Um, my striking, um, is still, still flashy, still fun. And, uh, you know, so we've been doing a lot of shadow boxing over, over the year, especially with COVID-19. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of shadow boxing, a lot of, a lot of solo drills, but, um, you know, I still feel, I still feel good. And, you know, we've still been training over at KMA. So we're, yeah, I was excited to get back in it, um, and have a great, you know, and put on a great show for everyone. Well, you know, that kind of leads me into my next question with the COVID-19 uh, having such an effect on gyms being uh, open. You know, I know KMA has still managed to, uh, you know, run some some fight training and in Knoxville's opened things up uh, a bit more here over the past month. Uh, has that uh, have you felt a difference in in your ability to prepare for a fight compared to in the past? Or is it does it still feel somewhat normal and into a good or bad way? So when. uh you know, when we are training over there, uh, you know, it's been a lot of, we've been doing a lot of conditioning, you know, cause there was a point where, you know, the gym, you know, the gym, we, all the gyms had to close, you know, everyone's doing 
wrestling classes and all the all this stuff and we've been doing like a ton of conditioning and the first day back um you know it was it was brutal uh you know uh and you know but moving forward off of that we you know i'm feeling good uh you know i'm able to i feel i feel recovered right and i feel great and uh you know so um fight camp training wise we you know we ha- hasn't really changed too much um you know we were doing a little more solo drills and shadow boxing but you know and adding in more conditioning with it um but it's been brutal but you know and it's been brutal in a good way i feel like i feel like things are clicking or things are clicking better um as far as like my techniques and everything so so yeah we're feeling feeling good and i think you know even with uh corona and covid you know and i was telling my people at my school and you know they're preaching it too at kma is that you know you know there's no excuses you know we we're going to keep moving and keep going forward you know doesn't matter if there's someone in front of us or not you know so so yeah well you know, I think that uh, the atmosphere over there has to be has to be uh, exciting because you've got a lot of teammates on this card, you know, and it's been now, you know, three months since anyone's gotten to fight. Looks like you've got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, uh, six, seven, uh, eight, uh, eight, not eight or nine teammates on this card aside from yourself. And essentially, you guys make up over half the card, uh, everybody getting ready together, peaking together. What's that like? No, oh, l- listen. All right. It's like, it's like hungry dogs, right? Then you just threw like that one piece of steak, yeah. right? You threw it in there. Like, and it's, and they just, they're going nuts, right? That's what it's, that's what it's been like. Everyone's super excited to get back in. Um, you know, our teammates, Parker Wadman, uh, Daniel Boyle, Ray Hewitt, uh, Jackson Donovan, right, and all the other teammates that are fighting, um, you know, they're all super excited to get back in it, and they've all been training super hard, um, you know, with you know, with myself included. And it's just been, it's been a fantastic atmosphere to be in, um, you know, and being in in such a, a competitive atmosphere. You know, you're trying to do, trying to work better than everyone else. You know, even if you're not there yet, you're pushing yourself a hundred and 110 percent it's been yeah it's awesome and we're we're all excited to get back in it and yeah it's just been like the bloodlust is (laughs) very is like it's super it's super there it's it's right (laughs) let's talk a little bit about this matchup you've got uh bradley brakefield in front of you this time three and three coming from the goon squad uh crew over in south carolina a uh, familiar group that we've been seeing a lot of over the past year. Uh, Brakefield's uh, three and three coming to this. He's, uh, I think, about four slots behind you in the ranking, so he'll be looking to leap, leap over you here. Uh, and he has fought a couple of your teammates. So, he, you know, he's coming off a loss to Jackson Donovan. No shame in that. Jackson uh, is a is a top prospect, undefeated, you know, and he'll oh, be on his card as well. Uh, but has a win over the Seagoat, Anthony Cochran, in what I recall being just an awesome back-and-forth three-round uh, battle that just was nip-tuck, lots of good scrambles, uh, you know, just lots of back-and-forth. I remember being very entertained by that. That said, those are two of your very closest training partners, I would have to imagine. Have they given you any insight uh, into, into this opponent? Uh, or are you is it something where you're just wanting to kind of see what happens when you get out there uh yeah so i you know i tried to i try to look him you know look him up and i couldn't find any videos so i you know i asked them how how he was 
you know, apparently he's a super game opponent, you know, going off a of three fight or, you know, six fights, three, three wins, three losses. Um, you know, he sounds like a tough, he sounds like a tough dude. And, you know, I'm super excited to get in there with him and, you know, and see what, you know, see the type of show we get to do. Um, you know, and it's just, I, I don't really know too much about him. Um, except that he's really tough. Um, so yeah, so I'm just, I'm excited. Cause the last thing, uh, my last person that I fought, uh, or the thing, the toughest person that I fought so far then was my only loss was, uh, Sean Hammond and yeah. you know, who I, who I'd love to fight again. He was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, but I am super excited to get back in there and, you know, test my, you know, test my metal and see how, you know, see how tough, you know, and see how tough he is and, you know, give it, give it a good run from our front run for our money. So, you know, uh, before we wrap up here, man, what are some of the, give us kind of a, an insight into like what's your short-term and your long-term goals with this whole MMA thing. Is there anything maybe, maybe even by the, you know, say within the next year you would like to have accomplished? And then also uh, a long, you know, are there any long-term goals? Do you want to go pro with this thing? Or is this something where you're just kind of having fun with it, staying in shape, staying competitive? Uh, it's, you kind of hit every, kind of hit everything on the, on it there. I do. You're like all that you know, stuff. Uh, short yeah, short term, you know, I think on the Valor, on like on the Valor uh, website, I think I'm ranked like number two in the featherweight division. Um, so you know, maybe you know, one day we can get like a title, a title sure. fight for the amateur featherweight. Um, that would be really, I think that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Um, lo- long term, um, you know, I just want to keep. Honestly, in my heart, I am, you know, I'm a martial artist first before I'm a fighter, and I. I love the atmosphere of competing and I feel like when the level of competition rises, right. My skill starts to rise also. So I just want to keep continuing to get better and, and better at what I, you know, at what we, at what I do. And that's one of the things that I feel like is necessary for that is to have that type of level of competition. Um, if pro happens, sure. Right. We'll take it. Sure. Um, you know, but it's not something that I'm, you know, that I'm super, that I'm gunning for, you know, if it happens, it happens. If not, right. That's cool too. We'll, we'll go, we'll move on. We'll still have fun with it and, um, you know, and go from there. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm constantly looking to just push myself and challenge myself in ways that, you know, are going to make me one better, uh, a better martial artist and a better person, you know? So, um, cause a lot of the fighters that I've met so far are, like the nicest people that I've ever met, you know? So I just, I always want to be, be better than I was the day before. I love the attitude, man. Um, you know, really looking forward to your fight here in just a couple more weeks. It's going to be a good one. Uh, before we let you go, I'm going to let you give some shout outs where they are due. Any uh, sponsors, training partners, friends or family you want to, uh, you want to give some love to, I'll let you have it. Awesome. Well, of course I want to give, um, I want to give a shout out to, uh, my family, my mom and dad, who keep supporting me, um, uh, uh, my wife, um, Aaron, uh, who, you know, through thick and thin has stuck with me for the almost, uh, in July will be the past 10 years, you know, um, uh, my students at TTJC Maribel, um, you know, they constantly support me and, you know, and they, uh, you know, they love seeing me fight and I've, you know, they stick with me through, th- they've stuck with me through thick and thin, even with all this Corona COVID stuff, you know, they've, stuck with me and I can't be more thankful for that. And, uh, and for Knoxville Martial Arts Academy, too, for allowing you right for letting me to, 
you know, to get back in the cage, giving me the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, so, uh, and Frankie's, uh, Frankie's body shop, they helped me with my, you know, they also helped me with like my workouts and, uh, getting myself fight ready. And, and yeah, so it's just, uh, and that, I think that covers the list there. I don't have, I don't have a big list. So <laughs> I think that's good. <laughs> Once again, this has been Ninja Nick Wigley, rising featherweight prospect. You can see him in action up next in two short weeks. Valor 71 from the world-famous Cotton Eye Joe. If you can be there live, that is the way to do it, of course. Uh, we will have limited capacity well, with COVID restrictions at the moment. So if you want to get tickets, get them now at Fighter Ticks. That's FighterTicks with an X.com. Make sure you select Ninja Nick Wiggly from the drop-down menu if you're coming to support him. And uh, otherwise, you can catch it on pay-per-view. You can catch the link on our social media or at the website, VFCMMA.com. Thanks so much for the time, Nick. We appreciate it, brother. We look forward to seeing you in action in a couple weeks. I look forward to jumping in there. Thank you for having me on, Tim. And, uh, and yeah, you guys have a good night now. All right. Thanks so much to our guest this week, Ninja Nick Wigley, getting ready to get back in the cage at Valor 71 on July the 3rd. That's going to wrap up segment one. Let's get on to round two now. And that is going to be a recap of this past weekend's UFC on ESPN Plus from the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, another closed event. Uh, we had 10 fights on this card and there was a lot of changes, Justin, um, man, like probably as many fight week changes as I've ever seen on a UFC card. Dare I say, it seemed like almost half the card was affected. It, it, it seemed like there was just like every day there was something. Yeah. And you know, none of the fights were on a normal schedule, you know, as far as training camps go and everything. So everybody was already having to fight. Um, you know, short notice fights. And then, so I think that, that played into um, all the switching around and stuff too. So let's jump into it, man. This was a 10 bout card and, you know, it wasn't a card that we were super high on going into it. I was pretty vocal about how it was, you know, probably the worst offering we'd seen from the USC definitely post COVID shutdown, but we also said there could be some good action here. Uh, just it may not be action that really makes a difference in the grand scheme of thing, but pretty solid action all the same. And uh, several of these fights really delivered. Main event, it was Cynthia Calvillo uh, making the move up from straw weight to flyweight for the first time, taking on the number one ranked Jessica I. And uh, I liked Calvillo in this fight. Uh, that, oh, she opened up as a pick and the public really jumped on her and she better up to like minus 150 when it, when the fight went off. But, you know, Jessica I came in a little bit overweight. There was some... Uh, there was some uh, speculation from Calvillo's side that, sh that she did the old towel trick and was really uh, officially she was a quarter of a pound over. And uh, but uh, according to Calvillo, she, um, she said that I's coaches were in contact with her coaches in the lead up to the weigh in and said she was going to be, be like three, three and a half pounds over. So um, they were expecting her to be much higher than she was. Uh, she didn't look great at the weigh in. And then she was kind of like bragging about missing the weight by just a quarter of a pound like that. That's not, not, that wasn't the attitude I like to see going into that. So I felt really good about that Calvillo pick and she ends up getting it done with a pretty dominant unanimous decision. Um, I had the first round kind of close-ish, but after that, all the rounds were, were Calvillo. She was able to get in and out with the striking. She was able to get the takedowns and uh, really just, uh, you know, kind of breathing a little bit of fresh air into that flyweight division. Your thoughts, Justin? Yeah, I think um, 
I think it was an all-around bad weekend for Jessica. I, you know, she's uh, she left her camp in Ohio and she's been out at the uh, at the PI training. Um, and so you would think that 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 would be good for her uh, for her weight issues as far as having all those uh, nutritionists and doctors right there at her disposal. Um, and I think for the most part, you know, the fighters that are going out there and, and living and stuff, they've got, you know, the attention is pretty much centered around them. It's not like everybody's over there, you know, it's just a certain few people. So, um, I don't know, man, uh, you know, I knew as soon as she, as soon as she missed weight and, you know, said she could barely stand up and all that stuff. Um, like you said, I was pretty confident in my pick from that point. Um, but it's, it's definitely going to be a crossroads for her, you know, as to where she goes from here. If she decides to keep fighting, you know, if she stays in this division or, or if she needs to move up. Um, but as far as Calvia goes, man, it was just, uh, a great show for her, you know, first fight in the division and um, she fought the number one contender and took her spot. Now she's number one in the division. I also saw that this was the highest um, viewing so far for UFC on ESPN, which is kind of wild. Uh, you know, like it we is. said, this is a shit card. Yeah, it was a shit card. But, um, you know, I think as we move forward, more and more people are realizing that, that it's even happening. You know, like I think the majority of people just feel like nothing's going on. And, um, you know, if the word's getting out, that, hey, UFC is having events. And so we're I think we're probably drawing in some some viewers that, that we wouldn't normally be getting. Um, so it was definitely a, a big audience for her and she came out and, and capitalized, you know, she looked good. She didn't sit down between any of the rounds, um, you know, and, um, I don't know how, how Jessica, I thought that she might be getting a decision, uh, at the end of that fight, but she acted like she kind of thought there was a chance that, that she was going to pull it off, but it wasn't even a close fight. It was a dominant performance by Calvia. Dana White indicated after the fight that Calvillo is already in the title mix, uh, kind of like a, a Gilbert Burns type situation. Um, what are your thoughts there? I, I don't think that they give her an immediate title fight, but I'm certainly intrigued by a Caitlin Chukagian fight now uh, with Calvillo. And with a win there, uh, maybe we can start talking. Yeah, the Chukagian fight would definitely have to be a number one contender fight. I think that uh, it's already a done deal between um, uh, Shevchenko and uh, – Oh, what's her name? Um, Joanne Calderwood. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I'm pretty positive that's the fight we'll get next. But if you know if something happens with that, you know, and it falls through, if, if something happens with Calderwood and she can't make it, uh, wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me for for Calvia to get the the call up? It is a different type of uh, style matchup um, than you know than I think Shevchenko's fought the last couple of times, just as far as being a pressure wrestler. I think Shevchenko still is a massive favorite, and rightfully so in that fight. But um, it it just gives a little a little bit of flavor, you know, something different, something this new. Different. Yeah. Co-main event. This is where all the uh, the tension was. We had the uh, the middleweight bout between Marvin Vittori and Carl Roberson finally came to fruition after uh, last time it was booked. Uh, Roberson had a weight cut issue and uh, was hospitalized. And then they had the big blow up in the hotel that there's video of that stuff out there. And, you know, Vittori, uh, man, uh, Robert, well, sorry, Roberson, he missed weight again. Uh, he came in about 190 pounds for this one, but the fight did go on and um, it was Marvin Vittori 
Murray um, getting him out of there in the first round with a rear naked choke about four minutes in, a little over four minutes into the first round. I'll say this. It wasn't like he just ran through Roberson. Roberson was pretty game in all those scrambles. I mean, he was he was, you know, having some moments. It would feel like where he would give her a sweep or a reversal, but he just couldn't stay on top of the guy like Vittori is just such a beast. Uh, so aggressive, so strong. And um, that uh, that win for him uh, enters him into the top 15. It looks like he, uh, he he just squeezed in there. I think at number 14 now, Marvin Vittori uh, will probably be getting a, uh, a ranked uh, another ranked opponent to move up next. Uh, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, uh, like you said, you know, Roberson kind of gave it the old college try. But at the end of the day, it was still a first-round finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, on the feet, I think Vittori was kind of struggling. but um, And he made a few mistakes on the ground and, and trying to get there. Um, but once he did and, and got position, you know, he he cemented it and, and you know, got the finish. Um, I, I, you know, kind of expected a little bit of a crazier fight, I guess. I uh, thought that after Roberson missed weight again by so much that, um, the tour was going to be, you know, real in his face and hot at weigh-ins, but he seemed almost like he expected it, you know, he seemed all right. And, um, I think that probably paid off for him in the fight. You know, if he would have gone in there even more angry and aggressive, you know, some of those positions, um, may have gone, you know, to Roberson's advantage, uh, enough to, to really swing the fight. But, um, yeah, Vittori should get a, a, a big fight next. I don't know if he's looking to turn around quick or not, but um, he's one of those guys that, that would, you know, should definitely capitalize on the opportunity uh, to take a big fight, you know, try to get on Fight Island uh, if he can. Feature bout was a quick turnaround for Charles Rosa, who was coming off of a pretty bad loss to Bryce Mitchell. But uh, he shook it off here and gets a split decision win over the the favored Kevin Aguilar, who is also on a bit of a losing streak himself. Uh, Rosa was the underdog here. He's like plus 160, 170 when it went off, and I got on him. Uh, that was a pretty nice bounce-back performance from Charles Rosa. Also, Andre Touchy-Feely gets a split decision win over uh, Charles Air Jordan. That was a fun fight. I, I thought it would be. Uh, Jordan dropped him in the first round. And I, I was on Feely, and I, that scared me at that point. I was like, oh, shit, we're in bad shape here. But uh, Feely, uh, you know, gathered himself, ended up getting a takedown at the end of the round, and, uh, and then kind of started pulling away, I thought, uh, in the second and third rounds. Although, you know, I didn't really uh, have a problem with it being a split decision because Jordan did a pretty good job of uh, blocking a lot of those uh, strikes that were thrown at him by Feely, for one. And then uh, Feely's takedowns, he didn't necessarily do a whole lot with them. So, uh, you know, I, I still was happy that Feely won, but I thought Jordan had a good showing of himself. Uh, your thoughts on these two? Yeah, I think with that one, you know, the experience and, and the cage time uh, definitely worked to Feely's advantage, you know, just getting the points where he needed them. Um, to edge out the decision. Uh, Charles Rosa, you know, he said this is going to be a tough fight coming in. He he definitely needs a good performance coming off of that loss, um, but fighting a guy who also needs a good performance. And, um, you know, both guys needed it real bad, and they came in there and fought like they did. And uh, Charles Rosa was able to come through and, and get the upset and, um, you know, kept his job for sure. Now, you know, we're all the time talking about, like, what would be a good fight for who and this, that, and the other. But, man, I feel like Nate the Train and Jordan would be another fight that would be, like, really good. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a banger for sure. 
Also on the main card, we had one of the few ranked fighters uh, on the card. Jordan Espinoza, number 10 ranked flyweight, gets a unanimous decision win over Mark De La Rosa. Uh, that's 0-4 now for De La Rosa, and he may be uh, short for the UFC at this point. Uh, Espinoza, you know, it really, the fact that he's ranked 10th just shows the, the lack of depth at the division, though, uh, really. And they fought at Bantamweight, but they're flyweights. Um, anyway, uh, Jordan Espinosa gets the win there. And then opening up the main card, it was Maria uh, Agapova uh, with a uh, submission of all things over Hannah Cyphers in the first round. Uh, when we saw the face off, uh, Agapova was looked two weight classes bigger than Cyphers, who is, in my opinion, kind of a smallish straw weight, making the move up to flyweight to fight what appeared to be a very large flyweight. And uh, Cyphers was game as she always is, but uh, Agapova just Man, she was lighting her up on the feet in every exchange. And then uh, she ended up getting a rear naked choke about halfway through the round and uh, makes her uh, presence felt in the UFC. Uh, your thought on uh, the rest of this main card? Yeah, uh, Agapova, whatever her name is. Um, man, she, you know, she was a she's a character, I think. You know, she came out. She was kind of like, yeah, there was a guy. I can't remember his name, but he came off of the Ultimate Fighter and he had like a big spider tattoo on his chest and he was bald. And he just kind of had this creepy look, and she reminded me of him a lot. But, um, but yeah, then, you know, dancing and, and just having fun in there. And um, she's definitely, you know, talented, a talented fighter. You know, she um, won the striking exchange and then climbed the back and, and got the submission in pretty quick. I think it was, uh, you know, a, a big, uh, big opportunity for her. I heard she was throwing up in the locker room afterwards and, um, you know, all that pressure building up and, um, you know, to be able to to get the win was um, pretty pretty good, but uh, be good for her to turn around too. You know, coming off of a quick win like that as well. Um, De La Rosa, like you said, probably out the door. Um, Jordan Espinosa, and I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm surprised they even have rankings for this division. Like I don't, they don't have featherweight rankings, do they, for women? I don't think they have uh, one one forty five for women. No. Yeah, they should probably do that with uh, the flyweights too. It's yeah, I mean that was that was Espinosa's first UFC win. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I know he was coming off at least one or two losses, but um, but yeah, just yeah, not not too much to look for in that fight. The undercard, uh, the prelims, man, there was this is where all the the crazy was. Uh, the the featured prelim, it was uh, Marab Davishvili uh, taking on the late replacement Gustavo Lopez. They ended up uh, fighting at 140 pounds because Lopez took this fight on like two or three days' notice. And in my opinion, I thought he had the best showing of any of of the kind of you know, massive underdog uh, late replacement types. He had a, you know, it was an, a very clear cut dominant decision by Davish Vili. Don't get me wrong. And he was awesome. And he had over, uh, I think he had like 12 takedowns and he became uh, one of uh, only four fighters uh, in history uh, of the UFC to score at least 10 takedowns in a fight multiple times. And it, and now he's won four in a row, and uh, he's looking really good, man. Uh, just uh, like if you're playing DFS or DraftKings, like you can't not roster <laughs> uh, Davis Vili, man. I think he had like 
I think he had like 175 points. It was it was something ludicrous. And and uh, that that said, like I said, a pretty pretty good showing by Lopez. I think he definitely earned himself another fight in the UFC there uh, because he even though he was dominated, he he still had a few decent moments on the feet. Um, you know, and obviously he was really good. Ray Borg stepped out very short notice uh, to be with his sixth son and probably for the best man because I I think that was a nightmare matchup for Ray Borg. Yeah, you know. Uh, one interesting thing also is that it was a short notice fight for Marab too. He oh, took yeah. the Ray Borg fight on like six days notice. And then, so, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between him and Lopez taking the fight. Um, other than it being Lopez's UFC debut, uh, essentially, but Marab was, was in Vegas, um, uh, to corner Aljo and got offered the fight, you know, while he was there and said, yeah, we'll stick around and I'll fight. So, um, but yeah, like you said, 13 takedowns in this fight, 12 in his last fight. Um, man, he's a monster. He called out Sean O'Malley afterwards, and we were talking about a matchup for him. I bet That's you he doesn't get him. Huh? I bet you he don't get him. Oh, no, I don't think so either. But this is the type <laughs> of matchup I was saying we need to see, you know, to, to, to start. I mean, Sean O'Malley's good, but in the way that people talk about him, you know, I don't really care to hear all that talk unless you've proven it against, you know, the different styles. And, he hasn't had, he hasn't fought a Marab, you know? Yeah. So, that's a nightmare matchup for that kid right now. Absolutely. Um, so, but Hey, if he wants to break in the top 15, Marab's calling his name. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, we'll group these last three together and they were all, uh, first round knockouts, first minute knockouts. We had Julia Avila getting a first round TKO in 22, 22 seconds over Gina Mazzani, who uh, also took this fight on short notice and was a massive underdog. And wow, man, it seemed like she just folded up real quick. Uh, Tyson Nam gets a, a 32 second beautiful knockout over uh, the late replacement, Zaruk Adeshev, who was uh, very inexperienced coming into this one, giving up just way uh, a, a, a massive gap in experience at the top level of MMA anyway. He had a lot of kickboxing experience and glory, but uh, I, I was on Tyson Nam here, but I certainly wouldn't have called a first-round knockout like that. Big win for him, and it's good to see him get it. Uh, and then it was Christian Aguilera opening the card up with an upset over uh, the favored Anthony Ivey with a 59-second TKO. I thought Ivey looked very clunky, maybe not on the level, uh, in, in my opinion. Your thoughts on these three? Who's the most uh, impressive to you? For the record, the performance of the night, uh, they went to Vittori, uh, Agapova, Tyson Nam, and Christian Aguilera. Uh, they were all first-round finishes, and it was all their first time uh, getting a performance of the night award. I can tell you right now that uh, Mearshart's sitting at home just fucking – dying that he didn't get the to fight oh, yeah. ivy yeah <laughs> you know in, instead he gets fucking knocked out but yeah, yeah um, ivy I, he didn't deliver like he was like a two to one favorite too and he just to me he looked very just uh just not comfortable in there yeah there there were you know two de- two different levels for sure um i think aguilera you know looked like he belonged there and like he's been here before and it's not a you know no big deal and um, Ivy definitely showed that he hadn't. Um, Tyson Nam is is one that really stuck out to me, though, man. That's you know he was fighting a kickboxer, and um, just to to lay him out like that was it was a beautiful right hand coming off of a kick, and uh, just a just a great performance. I'm glad that Vittori got one of those bonuses, though. Like you said, it was his first one. I think he's got like eight eight UFC fights or something. 
We had a lot of missed weights on this card. And, uh, you know, it seems like last year, if you missed weight, that was kind of like you, they always won, it seemed like, if they missed weight. But here's a stat for you. Based on the closing line, the favorites uh, that missed weight so far, well, overall this year, the fighters that have missed weight are three and six. And the favorites that miss weight are two and one. The underdogs that miss weight are one and five. And mm-hmm. in this in this particular uh, uh, fight card, we had three underdogs miss weight that I recall being uh, being the main event, Jessica I, Roberson, and Adeshev. And all three of them lost. Uh, pretty handily there. Any, uh, any think there's any correlation there, or you know, because it seemed like last year it seemed like the people that were missing weight were winning pretty regular. Yeah, uh, correlation and causation are not the same, I guess. What they say, like you said, last year was the complete opposite. So I don't know. Um, you know, to me, this is this is how it should be. You would think that if a person's missing weight, it's because they've, you know, at that point they have tried everything they can. They completely killed their body and then the next day they just can't perform and so they should lose the fight but last year it seemed like you know these people were just not not uh going through the, the battle of the weight cut and you know having a um fresher body to perform with but um i don't know that's wild that it's just you know stark opposites from one year to the next the um, uh one last little thing to touch on here now, Dana White also says that he doesn't buy that the smaller cage is resulting in the better fights. He says it's all an illusion. Your thoughts on that? Because, you know, even at our level, the Valor uh, level, uh, you know, we, we've got a big cage and a small cage. And, you know, it's it's like we it's like we we mentioned we act, we bring it up. Hey, it's in the small cage. You know, we're going to have action. So to me, I think there is a correlation. Yeah, I think uh, him saying that is just um because they're getting ready to go to Fight Island with a big cage. So you can't say, oh, yeah, the, the smaller cage is much better action. Now let's go use the big one. Um, but I, I haven't seen the stats, um, but I, I, I full wholeheartedly believe that um, the small cage is, is playing a huge factor. And I think if you look at it, I mean, I, I feel like there's, you know, one or two decisions a night as opposed to fight cards where, you know, there's seven or eight decisions. Um so yeah, I'm at, I and just being, you know, being around it and being in there, and it's uh, there's just nowhere to go. I mean, it, you know, you it's thirty percent smaller, I think, than the than the cage that they're usually uh, fighting in. So when you think about it, the I think it's like instead of thirty uh, feet wide, it's twenty five. So that doesn't sound like much, but you know, when you take away thirty percent of the surface room, um, there's a lot 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 less place to hide in there. Uh, so, you know, people are getting in there and, and getting after it, and um, and I love it. All right, that's going to wrap up our recap section. Let's move on to our preview of this week's uh, UFC card. This is going to go down Saturday, June the 20th, once again at the Apex in Las Vegas. We've got a main event between two ranked heavyweights. Curtis Razor Blades comes in number three, taking on the number seven ranked Alexander Volkov. Um, kind of one of those uh, holding pattern type fights, I think, here. Blades, you know, I mean, he's right there at the top of the rankings, but, you know, his losses to Nganu have him obviously sitting behind him while he sits and waits on Stipe and DC to fight. 
so you know, obviously he doesn't just want to do nothing. So he'll he'll be he'll fighting Volkov here, who uh, hasn't been as active as active as I'm sure he would like to have been uh, over the years. He um, he got a fight in last year and got the win over Greg Hardy. Uh, before that, he was beating uh, the Black Beast Derek Lewis, and then like gassed miserably and somehow some way managed to lose in the third round. So uh, you know, Blades is a Fairly sizable favorite here. He's got great wrestling, we know. Uh, showed off his striking chops, though, with a, with a TKO of uh, Junior Dos Santos. So uh, your thoughts on this uh, heavyweight bout? I'm not – it's not my favorite fight on this card by any means, but um, I guess, you know, divisional rankings-wise, it's, you know, two top ten guys. Yeah, uh, I don't love it. I think Volkov, um, you know, four or five years ago, I think – Maybe a little tougher of a fight. I feel like, you know, not having the um, the consistency of, of being in there and competing um, as well as aging is just kind of uh, set him back a little bit, you know, where, um, you know, Blades is young and, and fired up and up and coming. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a it'll be a good test for Blades. I think, you know, Volkov's his only loss in the UFC is Derek Lewis and, um you know, he's got like 37 fights or something. The guy's got a, a ton of experience and, you know, he's, he's been wrestled before. It's not, it's not the first time that's going to happen, but I think he's a big, uh, a big thing that he can, he could really utilize is, is those big leg kicks that he has, you know, if he can chop away at Curtis blades and keep him at, at bay and just pick him apart, you know, I think he can, he can walk away with this one. Um, but, you know, I think, it's a tough spot for Blades, man, because even if he does run through Volkov, like you said, there's just nowhere to go. He's not gonna. It's not gonna be anytime soon that Volk or that uh, Curtis Blades is gonna be fighting for a heavyweight title. Um, the only way I see it happening in the next year and a half or so is if Ngannou loses. I mean, you know, if, if Ngannou wins, how are you gonna sell that fight? You know, it's yeah, yeah. I think it's it, – I can't remember if the first one was a first-round finish or not, but the last one was like a minute and a half. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like – It was quick. Yeah, it's not like these fights have been competitive. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Curtis Blade just needs to go fight as much as he can and, and dominate, you know, as, as thoroughly as he can and get as much experience as possible uh, while he waits around. Now the co-main event that this is this is the fight that I'm looking forward to the most. This is a featherweight action. Josh Emmett taking on Shane Burgos. It's uh, number eight for Josh Emmett, number ten for Shane Burgos, and that is, man, that's going to be a war. I don't see how this fight will will be uh, boring at all. You've got uh, pretty much power versus volume. Burgos just. Yeah, he swarms you and has so much activity and just stays on you. Uh, whereas Emmett has got just that one shot power at any time. Uh, he can land that big uh, one hitter quitter. And, uh, you know, Burgos isn't the type to like, you know, back down. He'll be there in the pocket to be hit with it potentially. So really hard fight to call for me, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. If you put these two guys record together, you got, you know, a, a solid record. I think it'd be, they'd be like 20, 28 and three or something. Um, you know, Emmett's got two losses. Burgess has got one. I think, you know, Emmett's kind of settling into this, um, you know, top seven, eight, nine region um, in the division. He needs the win to kind of stay there. Um, and Burgos is, is on his way up, you know, trying to build. I think he's only got – I think his only loss is in the UFC. Um, I feel it's like it was Calvin, Calvin Cater. Cater. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and in a hell of a fight. And – um 
you know, Burgos is going to come in there. He's going to come in there and bring hell, and, and Josh Emmett is too. So um, I agree with you. I think it's fight of the night. Um, if we make it, if we make it past the first first round, I mean, the thing is, these guys are both going to be coming in there to to get the, get the job done. So um, this is probably my my favorite fight of the card as well. Feature bout is uh, another couple top ten ranked ladies at the bantamweight division. It's going to be number six Raquel Pennington taking on number ten Marion Renault. Uh, even though they are ranked, they are both kind of on that slide, you know. And uh, Pennington coming off a a bad loss to Holly Holm. Uh, Marion Renault, I think, is uh, has lost a couple in a row as well. Um, this is kind of a, a crossroads fight. I think the winner of this kind of sort of stays relevant, and the loser, uh, you know, it may be, uh, you know, the, the the downside for sure, where we're not, we're no longer talking about her in uh, the mix for uh, you know your your top fighters. So I didn't even think about this. I don't know why it just now hit me, but. Will this be the first time a married couple has fought in the UFC on the same card? Mm, I can't recall that happening before. Me either, because Tisha's on on the card as well. Right, right. Um, and I didn't even put put it together that they were both on the same card until just now. But uh, that'll be interesting. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, this one, I think, you know, I think Rocky's the favorite uh, in yeah, the yeah. fight. Um, I think she's kind of gotten where she is just off of durability and uh, just going out there and being scrappy. Um, you know, if it gets to the ground, I don't know uh, that she's going to be able to, you know, withstand it. I, I don't know. I think that if it's on the feet, I think it favors uh, Pennington. Um, but I think this one for me is kind of anybody's fight. You know, um, it would I would if I was going to bet on this fight, I would probably wait until after Tisha's fight to see how that went. And, and that would probably uh, affect my betting. If Tisha gets dominated, um, then I would I would look for that to, to affect R- Raquel Pennington, and I would probably go with Renault at that point. And a fun fact that Marion Renault will turn 43 years old on that day. It, it is her birthday. Oh, so maybe wow. There, maybe there's a little angle there. I don't know. Yeah, She's doing good uh, at 43, though. I hope I'm doing that good at 43. Yeah, I didn't have any idea she was that old. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also on the main card, we have uh, now this is a pretty good little scrap too. Bilal Muhammad takes on Lyman Good. Lyman Good, I believe, to be the first COVID positive fighter that the UFC has had compete uh, since all of this goes down. And this one is uh, this is a hard one to call. I think you know on paper you're like, yeah, Bilal Muhammad's got this, but man, Good is like such a hitter and such an athlete, and he's got such good wrestling takedown defense that like. If he if, if Muhammad has to keep this standing, then he could certainly get knocked out, I think, uh, by Lyman Good. And then uh, the other fight on the main card, uh, Jim Miller makes the return off of the loss to Hot Sauce. Scott Holtzman, he'll be taking on the quick turnaround uh, Roosevelt Roberts, who uh, just had a pretty, pretty decisive uh, finish over Brock Weaver just a couple weeks back, it seems like. So that's another one of your uh, veterans versus upstarts, you know, and it, it's kind of be like the test for Ro- uh, Roosevelt Roberts to see if he gets past uh, Jim Miller, uh, you know, who's been in there with uh, a who's who, uh, the UFC over the over the past uh, decade. So, uh, yeah, your thoughts on uh, the rest of this main uh, main card? Yeah, that's definitely going to be a, a big test for, for Roosevelt Roberts. I mean, you know, no matter how old he is or where he's at in the rankings or, or whatever, Jim Miller's always going to come out and fight. 
Um, he's not gonna he's not gonna back down an inch, and uh, he's gonna he's he's gonna keep coming forward the whole time. So um, definitely a, a big test um, for Roosevelt Roberts in that one. But this uh, this isn't Brock Weaver. I didn't. Did I say Brock Weaver? No, that's what I'm. I'm just saying. Oh, like Jim yeah, Miller, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim no, Miller I was gonna say that. Yeah, I was gonna say that. It's definitely. Yeah, it's not gonna be Brock Weaver. Um, but you know, that being said, I mean, he's a he's a massive favorite, so um, you know, he needs to come out and capitalize on it. But I don't think it'd be a bad idea to to throw a little change um, Jim Miller's way, uh, and then Blah Muhammad. I, I think that's probably my second favorite fight on this card. I think. That's going to be a, a wild fight, you know, Bilal just fighting to, to get the takedown and, and Lyman Good fighting to knock his head off. So uh, that'll be an interesting one. The prelims are a pretty good mix of uh, young talent and uh, and recognizable veterans. Uh, the top half, we've got Bobby Green uh, taking on Clay Guida at lightweight. That's two veterans there, uh, you know, that have been around a long time, uh, but both uh, haven't been winning their fights here as of late. I like Bobby Green, though, still in this one. Uh, as you mentioned before, Tisha Torres, uh, the wife of Raquel Pennington, number 12 uh, ranked strawweight. We'll be taking on the uh, surging Brianna Van Buren. And uh, now Van Buren's an Invicta champ. Uh, she's been looking really good. But to me, this is a big step up from the level she's been fighting. And Tisha Torres, you know, she's been on the side. She, she's, you know, she's been, I think she may have lost her last three. But it's been against very, very top competition. Uh, not to mention uh, Brianna. These are both ladies that could make 105. And usually Torres is is fighting girls that are quite a bit larger than her. But in this case, she'll be fighting someone that's an equal to her in size. So I kind of, you know, Van Buren is the favorite. I kind of like the underdog play in Tisha Torres there. Uh, and then uh, Mark Andre Baral takes on Oscar P. Chota in a fight that is probably where I'm going to run to Duncan and get coffee. Uh, both those guys are looking for their first UFC win. Neither of them have shown me that much. And this fight could be a bit of a stinker and um, probably should be the opener in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have much on, on that fight. Um, Tisha, like you said, she should be, she should have the experience um, in this one. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. It's like, I think, you know, momentum is a big, um, a big factor in, in a lot of these fights and uh Tisha just to me hasn't looked the same over the last couple of years, you know. She is losing to these top names, but she just doesn't seem like she has that that fire anymore and um I don't know, we'll we'll see. Uh but it'll be a it is like you said, a huge step up for Van Buren though. I mean, it'll be a a massive test for her. The other half of the uh prelims we've got uh a couple more ranked fighters, uh, lady fighters. We've got Courtney Casey, who has now entered the rankings at number 15 at flyweight after campaigning uh, the large portion of her career at strawweight. She's taking on Jillian Robertson. Uh, that's going to be a pretty good little fight. Uh, another uh, early fight of the night contender, uh, which could end in a, a crazy war or a knockout, Frank Camacho versus Matt Frivola. Man, those guys are going to they're gonna stand and bang. 
and hit. They both got really good chins. They both hit really hard. They both go for it. It's going to be don't miss that one. That's that's my uh, sleeper fight on the prelims. Um, and then we've got number five ranked Roxanne. I'm surprised this one is the second fight on the prelims and not on the main card. Uh, number five, Roxanne Modafari takes on number six, uh, Lauren Murphy uh, in the flyweight division. Uh, Modafari coming off of a, a huge upset win over Macy Barber. Now, Macy Barber did get injured in that fight. So I'm not sure how that we can take that just, you know, all the way. But it looks like she's in really good shape for this. I saw some pictures of her and she looks like she's like shredded up like she's really gotten her conditioning in order for this um so so when i originally started looking at this fight i kind of like lauren murphy right just off my initial you know lean but i may be going back towards roxy's way now and then opening up the card we have got a late replacement fight it's austin hubbard is supposed to be taking on joe selecki joe selecki uh, had to pull about a week ago so now i'll be taking on the debuting five and oh max rosekopf who uh, is a, a grappling phenom. He's an NC State uh, wrestler, uh, ACC champion, um, very good grappling, very aggressive, uh, shredded up, beast of a guy. But uh, at 5-0 and oh, and having fought just kind of like middling regional competition, it's a big step up against a guy in Austin Hubbard who comes from that elevation team with uh, Gaethje and Dober and, and those guys who are on a roll. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, opening bouts of the night? Yeah, it kind of surprised me that, that uh, Hubbard was the underdog in that one. Um, but I, I think that it's pretty disrespectful to have Roxanne the second fight on the on on the card, man, being ranked number five in a division that like like we were talking about earlier, there's not a ton of um, not a ton of marketing uh, appeal to, to any opponent for the champion, you know. So why would you put this at the bottom of the card? You know, I feel like you should have it, you know. You should have it up top and try to build these girls up. But at the very um, least, as the featured prelim or over Jim Miller, Roosevelt Roberts. Yeah, it's just I don't know. That's a crazy, that's a crazy uh, spot for them to fall. Uh, Frank Camacho and, and Frivola is going to be fireworks. Pretty much a pick 'em fight. Um, I like Frivola, uh, but Frank Camacho, man, and, and he's going to come in there and bang. He's neither one of these guys. I think. Camacho might only have one or two wins in the UFC, and I don't think Favola has any, but their records don't really match their, uh, you know, or their recent fight, you know, records don't really match who they are, uh, how they compete, but um, I think that'll be a, a good one. Um, and looking forward to seeing Courtney Casey get back in there. Um, I, I think, you know, this that'll be a, a tough fight, uh, pretty, you know, essentially a pick em fight on that one as well. All right. So I'm, I'm a little more excited about this one uh, than I was last week's. You know, there's several more. This is more like it. You know, this is, a, you know, we get some fights that should shake up the divisions a little bit. Uh, what's your uh, what's your pick for uh, most uh, anticipated bout of the evening? And we'll wrap this thing up. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go with. Uh, oh, man, probably below Muhammad and Lyman Good. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the co-main event, Burgos and Emmett, with that uh, fight that you mentioned being a very close second. Um, and that, uh, man, that's I guess that's all we've got for tonight, man. That's uh, we, we kept it to like a, a valor hour. Uh, that's always nice. Um, 
next week we will rendezvous back we will recap this show uh is there a ufc for the june 27th is there a fight that weekend or is it off yeah i think there is okay so i guess we'll preview it (laughs) and uh we'll get some more interviews on here for that valor 71 card that's coming up july 3rd for the world famous cotton eye joe as well uh till then uh signing out of here for my co-host justin watson i'm tim loy stay safe out there we'll talk to y'all next week This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence. I guess my one takeaway from the the Kimbo uh, fight lore episode was you just can't tell the Kimbo slice story in 30 minutes. No, you can't. And and I haven't seen the other episodes, but the ones you've described to me, especially the uh, Nick Diaz and Joe Riggs thing, that kind of seems perfect for the fight lore formula because it's a small story about Nick Diaz and Joe Riggs fighting each other in the hospital. And it's a 30 minute chunk, whereas Kimbo Slice is a very just amazing character. And there are so many pivots to his story. You could go so deep into the street fighting aspect of his fights. They're so captivating and interesting. Obviously, we're talking about a one-hour bit on the Elite XC run. We're talking about, you know, a lot of time spent in the UFC and then a lot of time spent in Bellator. And it would take someone who's kind of independent of the UFC and Bellator to put together a great, Kimbo Slice documentary because that's really possible uh, because it's such a, a well-rounded story that is in so many different fight promotions. So watching that fight lore did get me thinking like, wow, I have a real appetite for like a three hour long Kimbo documentary, a two part Kimbo documentary. It's just a shame uh, that we weren't able to get that sit down interview to go with that documentary because hearing Kimbo's perspective to me is so interesting but the fight lore episode was great. It was so enjoyable. I can't believe I had never seen Jorge Masvidal street fight. I had not seen that um, prior to the fight lore episode. And to see that was, was quite interesting. There was a lot of things that I did not know. And uh, I particularly enjoyed the interviews with Kimbo's mother and um, the manager. And, of course, uh, his, his son, which I did not realize that his son was accompanying him to some of these street fights. That's a interesting father-son activity. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.